Institute Studio, live here in Washington, D.C. I'm Kat Morthy, Cato's Senior Digital Outreach Manager, and I'm sitting here with Cato's Director of Polling, Emily Eakins, author of the new study, Trump Voters, How Faith Moderates Attitudes About Immigration, Race, and Identity. Many Americans believe that religion plays a polarizing role and causes social conflicts, particularly when it comes to identity, race, and immigration. However, according to Emily's new research, um, religious participation actually has a moderating view for conservatives on these issues. And she finds that religious Trump voters compared to non-religious Trump voters actually have warmer views towards immigrants and racial and ethnic minorities. And they also support trade and immigration at higher levels. Uh, this is a fascinating study, uh, one that I'm very excited to talk to you all about. And I hope you'll join the conversation. If you're watching on Facebook, you can post your questions in the comments below this video. Otherwise, on Twitter, you can tweet them with hashtag CatoConnects. Or if you're watching from the Cato website, you can post questions via Slido using the box at the bottom of the page. You can also find me on Twitter as at Murthy or Emily as at Emily Eakins. Emily, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So what made you want to research this topic? Well, part of this, this is an outgrowth of another research project that I did um, in 2017 um, where I looked at Trump voters. The paper was called The Five Types of Trump Voters, where I look and find five different groups of people that all voted for Trump, but they seem to have many different beliefs and characteristics, so it seemed like maybe they voted for him for different reasons. But there was one group in particular that really stood out. These were the core set of Trump supporters, the back when there were 15 options during the Republican mm -hmm. primary, that he was their number one choice. So these, in this group, I, I, I labeled them the American Preservationist Group. And they comprised about a fifth of his coalition, but they were the most enthusiastic about him. And they had attitudes that were very different from a lot of Republican attitudes that you might typically associate with Republican voters. For instance, they wanted to raise taxes on the rich. Um, they were concerned about Medicare and Social Security and wanted to expand those programs. But the thing that also stood out to them about them was that they were the most likely group to say that their religious identity was very important to them, but they were the least likely to actually attend church regularly. And I thought there is something interesting going on here where the, the kind of core constituency of Trump voters feel that their religion is part of their identity but it's not necessarily a part of their belief system and how they operate or kind of run their everyday lives. In fact, other Trump groups were far more likely to be attending church regularly. And we actually saw this kind of dichotomy during the Republican primary, where the Republicans who go to church or the evangelicals who go to church, who went to church a lot, like every single week or, or more, voted for Ted Cruz. And those who never attended church but said that they were evangelical voted for Trump. And I thought there might be something going on here between people's um, religiosity or how often they attend church and how they vote politically. Might that also extend to how they feel about public policy issues like immigration and attitudes about globalization and um, how demographics are changing the United States? And it turned out that there really is a strong correlation between those things. That's fascinating. And uh, yeah, so let's talk about that. So these are very much all Trump voters. We're not talking about anyone else here. Yes. 
And we are, we're determining, the entire determinant in this study is if they're religious or not. So how did you determine religiosity? So you mentioned mm -hmm. it's obviously not based upon whether or not they say they feel religious. Yes. So the best way to measure religiosity for these purposes is to ask people, how often do you attend church aside for, from like weddings and funerals and, and special events? How often do you, do you attend? Do you attend more than once a week? once a week, a couple times a month, a couple times a year, seldomly or never. And the group of conservatives that never attend church, and that's actually a large group of them. You might think that all conservatives attend church all the time. That's actually- Particularly ones who are saying that religion is very important to them right. and how they vote. Exactly. But that's actually not the case. About almost half of Trump voters say that they don't they, they never or rarely attend church. So that's almost half of them. And they voted disproportionately for Donald Trump in the primaries when they had other Republican options. Those more devout religious uh, conservatives who attend church once a week or more than once a week, they actually were opting for Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio. These are different types of people. And as it turns out, they the way they think about immigration and racial diversity, poverty are very different. So what we found is that the more often conservatives attend religious services. So that means you're going from, you know, maybe you go once a year to twice a year to a couple times a month to once a week. The more often conservatives attend religious services, the warmer their feelings become towards African Americans, Hispanics, Asian Americans, Jewish people, Muslims, all of the racial and religious minorities, they become warmer and feel more favorable towards the more often they attend church. And then we also found that religious Trump voters, people who attend church weekly, were more likely to have more favorable attitudes about immigration and immigrants. They're a little less concerned about the border wall. They're a little less keen to kind of clamp down on legal immigration or to prevent undocumented immigrants in the country or unauthorized immigrants, whatever you want to say, <laughs> from being able to get on a path to citizenship. So there seems to be something that this is within the conservative movement here, that there are disagreements about immigration that correlate strongly with how often people are attending religious services. So one of the things that really stuck out to me about your study is that this is almost as if you're describing two completely different groups of people. They have in many times diametrically opposed values. They have very different views on policy, yet they're all Trump voters. What, were they demographically very different or were they essentially the same people minus their religious observance? So I've gotten this question a lot where, you know, people will say, well, maybe the people that are, maybe those conservatives that are attending church more regularly are more racially diverse and so they go to church with people that are more racially diverse and that affects their views. That actually doesn't seem to be the case. Um, people, conservative Trump voters who attend church every week and those who attend never have very similar demographics racially in terms of their education and income level. Now, there are some slight differences, which I point out in the report, but we have a way to actually test to determine if those differences are meaningful. So uh, a pushback that I often get is people will say, well, people that have higher levels of education tend to be more engaged in social activities and civic society, right. which is true. And that people with higher levels of education tend to report more favorable feelings towards racial and religious minorities. That is also true. What you can do is you can put all of these variables together, um, kind of throw them into one big statistical test, and you can determine if when you account for the effects of education or income or uh, other demographic factors, if that just kind of 
washes away that this effect of, of attending church regularly. And it turns out that it did not make the effect go away, that people who attend church more regularly have significantly more positive attitudes towards immigrants, racial minorities, and religious minorities, even when you account for those demographic differences, which aren't that strong, to be honest. So it does seem to me as if, um, and our conversation is obviously leading this way, um, your study largely looked at Christians, and one could even say white Christians. Um, why, why is that? Well, because white Christians made up the bulk of Trump's constituency. And, and as we started at the beginning, we're looking at people who chose to vote for Donald Trump in the 2016 election. So we're not looking at just conservatives. There's actually a lot of conservative Democrats. So to be as precise as we can here, this study is just looking at religious um, excuse me, just looking at Trump voters, people who attended a lot or a little or in the middle. And for the most part, most of them were Protestants and Catholics. Now, um, I don't know if you want to go here now, but I actually expanded the analysis to the whole population to see if this effect that we were observing among Catholic and Protestant Trump voters was also true among other religious groups, regardless of who they voted for. Because is there something maybe going on with religion or is it a specific denomination? Right. Is it just Trump voters or is yeah. it everybody? So the, so the evidence suggests that it could be everybody. Um, I looked at subsets of Buddhists, of Mormons, of Muslims. And what we see, we see the same effect. Now, some of these sample sizes are a little bit small, and some religious traditions don't involve going to right. religious services on a regular basis. But even still, we still detected an effect. I mean, again, it's just like, how often are you going? Are you participating more or less relative to other people in your religious faith? And we found that for Mormons and Muslims and Buddhists and Catholics and Protestants, that the more frequently they were engaged in their religious services, the more tolerant their attitudes became towards other groups. So for instance, Muslim Americans um, were, re religious Muslim Americans were significantly, had significantly more favorable attitudes towards Christians and white Americans. Um, we saw the same thing with other religious groups too. So this isn't just a, a Trump voter phenomenon. Um, there, does, there does seem to be something going on with religious activity, but that being said, Correlation isn't causation. There right. could be other things going on here. But I think that this really pushes back on a narrative that became very popular in the past decade or so, where a lot of people have come to view religion of all of its forms as this divisive, as divisive and if anything, kind of uh, fueling bigotry and, and negative and, and negativity in our society. But what these results suggest that at least for these Trump voters and, and, and the other tests that I ran, that maybe it's having a moderating effect more than we thought. Um, I'm on glad, certain I'm, issues. Right. I'm, and I'm glad that you brought up bigotry right there because I think one of the biggest and perhaps most concerning things that I saw in your study was how diametrically opposed religious versus non-religious Trump voters were on issues like racial equality. Uh, you, had a, you had a really startling stat in there. 67% um, of church-going Trump voters said racial equality was personally important to them versus 51% of non-religious uh, Trump voters said racial equality was not important. Um, and I think perhaps even worse, um, conservative views of black people, Hispanics, and Asians were very much uh, influenced by their church-going behavior. And you have this jump from Trump voters who never attend uh, church services 
um, having favorable feelings about black people hovering around just 48 percent, just 48 percent favorable feelings, all the way to 73 uh, percent among those who attend church multiple times a week. Which we'd like to see that be even higher, obviously. Yeah, But right, it was actually right. the same for about for Democrats and other groups. So, so basically, if you take a religious Trump voter, um, they look a lot like Democrats do on these race racial issues. Um, that, but but non-religious Trump voters, they're the ones that are particularly different. That's really interesting that you put it that way. So what makes these non-religious Trump voters so different? Is it just on these issues or are there other trends that you were seeing stick out about them? Well, it's hard to say. Now, to be clear, this study isn't saying that all Trump voters that don't attend church have negative views <laughs> right. of, of, course, of, of course racial not. and religious minorities. That is absolutely not true. We're just pointing out this correlation that we're seeing. And it's true that there are some religious Trump voters that do have negative attitudes towards these groups. Um, but the point is that there seems to be this, co this correlation, which is not the same as causation, but it could be. And it suggests that maybe there's something about religious traditions that can help moderate people's attitudes. I mean, what could that be? Well, if you look at religious doctrines, they tend to preach uh, the idea that we are all children of the same deity mm -hmm. and that we have an obligation to care for one another and help one another. And that kind of universality can be perhaps very helpful in reducing racial tensions. And again, instead of focusing on how we're all different, we're focusing on things about how we're the same. Um, religions also provide communities of trust and security for people where they maybe don't feel as threatened by people who are different than them. Um, and we definitely saw that in our data where religious Trump voters are far more likely to say that they feel a lot of trust in their community. Right. Um, they're more likely to think that people are trustworthy rather than out to take advantage of them. Um, and that we also see uh, saw that religious Trump voters were more likely to say that they felt satisfied with their relationships in their community, their neighborhood, their family relationships. Overall, like their, their levels of social capital were higher. So again, we don't know if correlation is not causation, but it suggests that perhaps social capital can play a role in providing security to people um, such that when there's lots of change, lots of demographic change and, and lots of new immigrants coming into a country, mm -hmm. they don't feel threatened because they feel like their place in America is secure. I, I'm glad you brought that up, too, because there's a few stats around that that were just fascinating to me. One was that uh, non-religious Trump voters felt were almost three times as likely to say that their white racial identity was uh, very important to them and who they were. Yeah. Uh, we also saw... Um, what what was it? I think uh, six in 10 church going Trump voters said that demographic change is good for American society versus less than half of non-religious Trump voters. Mm -hmm. And 58 uh, percent of these non-religious Trump voters said that they feel like a stranger in their own country. Is this, this is a story of isolation or what's going on? Well, I think that that kind of ties back into this idea that religious communities of whatever denomination provide communities of security and support. You don't have to be alone. If you need help, um, there are people there to be with you. And also, it helps people form identities around something that you can choose rather than an immutable trait like your race or the country you were born in. You really, you don't control that. <laughs> um, and we... we Peter Beinhardt had an excellent article in The Atlantic a little while ago where he made this argument that I feel like my data actually helps bolster, um, but his was more just theoretical. The idea was that when conservatives disengage from religion, 
um, some of them may be tempted to redraw their identity on the boundaries of, of race and the nation. Um, but when people have religious identities and other sorts of kind of intermediary institutions, things that you can choose, like a religious tradition, people can base their identities on that. And it gives something that we can have in common with one another. Um, and also something that every single week reminds us, be a better version of yourself. And certainly there's also perhaps a story of, again, social isolationism. You talk about how these religious Trump voters are, for the most part, very active in their community. They volunteer. Mm -hmm. They do all of these kinds of things. We don't see that coming from the non-religious Trump voter group, the one that's saying that they feel like strangers in their community, that are saying that they feel like they're being pushed out of society. Right. So to, to that point, um, that statistic was really striking that religious Trump voters, I think it's like 60 percent, have volunteered in the past 12 months. And that's a number three times as high or so uh, of the of the secular Trump voters that never attend. And as it turns out, you can feel a lot more connected to your community when you're serving other people. I mean, who knew, right? <laughs> um, but sometimes what religious communities can do, oh, and something I want to point out here is you could say, well, maybe they were just volunteering with their with their church or their synagogue right, or whatever. Right, right. They're just um, working at the church. That wasn't necessarily the case. Um, religious Trump voters were more likely to volunteer for two or more they were like three times as likely to, to volunteer for two or more organizations in, in the previous 12 months, which means it's more than just their religious congregation that they are working with. Um, so there's something about that that kind of maybe encourages them to get out there and to contribute. And it turns out you don't feel so alone when you're serving other people. Um, but sometimes, it, you know, it needs a little push. You know, Robert Putnam has an amazing book that came out a while ago, but you may have heard of it, Bowling Alone, which right. is about the decline of social capital in the United States. And this is more than just religion, people disengaging from religion. People have disengaged from um, communities across the board. And people are suffering, I think, as a consequence. Um, because it's hard to get out there. You have to invest in those relationships to serve other people, to engage with other people, to take that time. You could just sit at home and binge watch Netflix for a couple of hours, which might be nice in the moment, but then you weren't spending that time investing in a relationship or serving your community. And as it turns out, we as human beings need that. And this data suggests it can actually help improve our relationships with other people if we do it. So one of your conclusions that you drew from the study was that uh, this data kind of paints a picture in which private organizations and civil society can help actually uh, uh, help cure a lot of our conflicts that we've seen, which is, again, as you've mentioned, antithetical to kind of a lot of people's views around what religion does. Yeah, so there's a couple of things there. Um, I think that this demonstrates an example of a private institution. I mean, religions are private institutions are able to form this, this social function, this social good of reducing polarization, encouraging moderation, and encouraging tolerance. And government really had nothing to do with it. And a lot of times when we have societal problems, I think a lot of us might be a little too quick to turn to government to try to seek to address those societal problems. But maybe it turns out that the solutions to those problems aren't necessarily just religious, of course. I'm just saying that maybe there are some institutions outside of the realm of government that individuals can create through their own um, diligence and their own initiative that can actually cure a lot of these social ills. And just this is an example of one of them. And it proves that private institutions are capable of having this positive good. And then to your other point about um, our, our people of 
often viewed religions as kind of this um, this negative force in society. Right, that it isolates, that it divides. <laughs> Particularly, divides. I think you call out uh, because of the, the fight over same-sex marriage. Exactly. And that I understand completely. It is true. Um, people that are more religious have less positive views of same-sex marriage and so forth. But I think because of that, people assumed that that must also mean that religious people have less positive views of other minority groups or immigrants. And then it's actually precisely the opposite. So I think what happened is a lot of people felt like, well, if we encourage people to disengage from religion, they'll be more tolerant and think like I do. Well, it turns out that maybe that's not how it's working out. Right. It seems to be going <laughs> the other direction. The opposite. Right. The other direction. And maybe there are other ways to encourage social tolerance on the issues of LGBT rights beyond or besides just trying to encourage people to disengage from religion by characterizing kind of religious people and pop culture and movies and TVs as kind of being backwards and villainous, which is typically the case. <laughs> so I do want to talk a little bit more about how these attitudes uh, infect uh, political views and policy views. Uh, before I do, though, I want to ask everyone who's, uh, who's watching online Please do tweet your questions in. Uh, we're going to be getting to those shortly. That's Cato Connects. You can also post them on the Facebook or in Slido on our website. Um, but on that point, so as we've mentioned, these attitudes definitely have a strong impact on how these folks feel about policy because we saw very different responses um, on all sorts of issues mm -hmm. from the religious Trump voters versus the non-religious Trump voters. Now, some of them I thought did seem as if they were maybe stemming from religious uh, teachings. You uh, you wrote the Trump voters who attend church very frequently are about two and a half times as likely to oppose the death penalty. Mm -hmm. And um, that Trump voters who attend church at least once a week are nearly twice as likely as secular Trump voters to say that poverty is a very important issue that they focus on. Mm -hmm. um, but some of these really surprised me. Um, Trade, for instance, we saw that religious Trump voters were generally speaking more open to trade than non-religious Trump voters. Yeah, well, I think that's because trade is in many cases a symbolic issue, um, and it's connected to a lot of different symbols, you know, and I think Trump has perhaps changed the way some people view trade. But in the past, I think trade has been part of this idea of kind of a more cosmopolitan, interconnected, globalized world. And, mm -hmm. and so as a consequence, your attitudes about immigration and your attitudes about trade often go together, even though you think that they might be totally separate. And as it turns out, we, we do see that just as people who are more religious are more open to immigration, they're also more open to trade. But um, Trump has changed that for some for some of those voters. Really? How so? Well, um, during the 2016 campaign, Trump had a lot of negative things to say about trade, um, mm -hmm. and he felt like you know free trade was 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 being un was unfair trade to um, American citizens, and so we saw a decline in support for free trade during that Did you that see time that period. specifically amongst the non-religious Trump voters or across the board? Across the board, including the religious Trump voters. But by 2017, that had, it kind of bounced back. Right. And religious Trump voters were more supportive of free trade than, uh, than the secular Trump voters. So it shows that partisanship can reduce the effects of uh, religious participation. If you have a political leader who's taking a very strong stand on a particular uh, particular issue, but that doesn't mean it will stick. Well, if there's so. any particular issue that President Trump has taken a very strong stand on, it's immigration. Mm -hmm. I think um, he's been more than clear. He's not a big fan of uh, immigrants in general, or at least um, immig um, immigration reforms. Um, 
But what I found quite interesting was that that was one of the areas where you saw a big difference between religious and non-religious voters and the types of policies that they supported. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, who knows what this would have looked like in 2012 when people weren't talking about about immigration quite as much. So we still saw that we still see this difference between religious and non-religious Trump voters, um, despite his rhetoric on it. Now, it's unclear to me if he has specifically come out against all immigration. I think that he's tried to clamp down more on illegal immigration. But I think a lot of people feel like his motivations are to reduce immigration across the board. Now, there's going to be some disagreement about what his true motivations are. But what we see among Trump voters themselves is there's actually quite a bit of disagreement about what we should do about both legal immigration and illegal immigration. Now, the family separations at the border that um, occurred last year, um, a lot of evangelical churches came out very strongly against what was going on at the border. So we do see some examples where, where individuals who are pretty supportive of Trump they said on certain on certain immigration issues, we draw a line and separating children from their parents is one of them. Um, we saw the Mormon Church do this, the, um, the, the, the National Baptist Convention and a few other major organizations for um, evangelical churches. Oh, that's fascinating. And it wasn't just it wasn't just family separation. Non-religious Trump voters were also much more likely to oppose pathway to citizenship for folks mm -hmm. who are already here to want legal immigration to be much more difficult. They're much more in support of a border wall, and they tend to believe that illegal immigration drains the U.S. economy in a way that religious Trump voters don't. Yes, um, but religious Trump voters still aren't necessarily as, as liberal as liberals on those issues, but they were certainly less concerned about these issues. They were more supportive of a pathway to citizenship for unauthorized immigrants. They were less interested in building a border wall. And and again, I just think that it's it's the direction, it's the change in the direction that we see that suggests maybe there is a relationship such that um, people who participate frequently in a religious tradition become less anxious and concerned about immigration. And I think that's very notable. Uh, well, at this point, we've had a ton of questions coming in from folks all across uh, Twitter, Facebook. Um, and so I'd like to get into those. Uh, for those of you watching, you can tweet your questions with Cato Connects. Uh, Daniel DiMartino asks, is this caused by church attendance or is it a result of self-sorting? So it could be a little bit of both. And that's a very good question. And that's why correlation is not causation. Um, we don't know for sure that this causes the other thing. But there's reasons to think that there are at least some causal effect. If you are attending some sort of meeting on a regular basis that continually reminds you to serve one another, help people in need, and that we're all God's children, I think that at least some of that might sink in compared to someone that does not hear that all the time. Um, so I think that it goes both directions. People that are more kind of civically minded are more likely to participate. But at the same time, some of those family members maybe didn't want to be there and got dragged along. They probably got affected by what they heard while they were sitting in the pew. Absolutely. Um, Sam Allen asks, was there any indication from the study what religious and non-religious Trump voters think of each other? You know, we didn't look at that. We didn't ask them. I think that most people think that all conservative Republicans are, they attend religious. church all the time. Right. <laughs> Especially given the fact that, like I mentioned at the beginning, that um, these, these Trump voters that said religion was most important to them were the least likely to go to church. So a lot of times people will just use, do you care about 
is religion important to you? And they say yes, and that's like the whole Republican Party, and so then they just walk away and think, well, then they're all very religious. But your behavior speaks louder than your words. So if you're not actually attending religious services, maybe there's, you know, maybe there's something different in how you think about other issues, and it turns out the answer is yes. Very interesting. So Eric Gomez asked, do Trump supporters that do attend church think uh, – think his personal morality, for instance, campaign trails, sexist comments, Stormy Daniels, et cetera, um, does that weaken their support for Trump? So we didn't ask in our surveys. So, so these survey, the results that I use in this report come from the Democracy Fund Voter Study Group, which mm-hmm. uh, I'm a part of, and we've conducted a series of, of surveys um, in 2016, 2017, and so forth. And we haven't asked specific questions about Stormy Daniels or, or these specific scandals. But what I can say is that we did a survey right after the 2016 election, right after the 2016 election. So this is soon after the Hollywood Access tapes came out in which President Trump bragged about grabbing women right. um, inappropriately <laughs> without their consent. Um, and, you know, religious people probably didn't like that very much. Well, as it turns out, right after that— Religious Trump voters were less favorable of Trump than were secular Trump voters. This is in 2016. But by 2017, 2018, that's kind of bounced back, and now we don't see that same difference. So I think that's notable um, that religious Trump voters today um, seem to be much more satisfied with his job performance than they were right after those, right after the Hollywood Access tapes came out. A couple different folks, but I'm going to take Brian Ben Simon's question here, have been asking, uh, what are some other examples of social institutions that you might expect to see have a similar effect upon the voting population? Well, uh, there are a lot of clubs that people used to belong to and mutual aid societies. A lot of those have gone by the wayside, and I actually think that's a little bit of a shame. Um, perhaps our generation of younger voters might uh, play a role in trying to bring some of those back. But I think if you talk to your grandparents, a lot of them were involved in a lot of social clubs. And we haven't um, done a study of those to see if they have the same effect. And so it's unclear to what role, to what extent maybe the education and the information that you're learning there, such as like religious doctrine versus Mm -hmm. just the community of support and security are playing a role. But we've certainly seen social clubs um, and other forms of civic engagement that um, political scientists and sociologists like Robert Putnam have studied where they study social capital. Yeah, bowling. Yeah, (laughs) bowling leagues, anything that brings people together. um, that, That those forms of social capital have immense value in many other areas. Now, Robert Putnam didn't look specifically at what's the effect of joining the bowling league on your attitudes of immigration, but he did look at the effect of joining these types of clubs on a host of other issues and life satisfaction, and they were all better. (laughs) So I think there's reason to think that there are a lot of intermediary institutions that could have a similar effect, but I don't know if it would be the same effect. Um, So let's burn this. Um, Obviously, I'm assuming not their real name. Asks, uh, do you have any? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Do you have any theories as to why church attendance among those who voted for Trump moderates their views, but also appears to increase their support for Trump in 2017 after a year of his policies? Right. So it's hard to say exactly why these are. I can tell you that right after these, these the Hollywood Access tapes came out, that religious Trump voters were less supportive. Over time, who knows exactly which thing did what for their support. Um, and I think this is actually a very important question that people are have been asking, which is, 
Trump doesn't seem to embody a, personally in his own personal life, and by his own admission, it's not like he. this is a secret, <laughs> um, a lot of the values and principles that religious people feel are important, like fidelity to your wife and things mm -hmm. like that. So why would they support him so much? And, and this report is not about Trump. It's about right. Trump voters and the, and, and, and the correlation between attending church and your attitudes about immigration and other policies. But what I can say is I have heard arguments being made that while they might not love Trump the man and his choices, they feel like he is going to defend them from something worse from the other side right. of the political spectrum who does not care about their beliefs and is willing to kind of push and jettison, jettison their, their beliefs aside, you know, send bakers to jail or or find bakers for not right. wanting to, to bake a cake for um, a same-sex wedding, things like that. They feel like they're under attack. So it seems to me, um, both from some of the stuff we talked about before and what you're saying now, a lot of this has to do with identity and tribalism almost. Oh, Yes, <laughs> I feel American politics, <laughs> tribalism, absolutely. And, and that's actually something I, I, I discuss in the report, which is that partisan tribalism seems to, in some cases, outweigh the, the effects that may, we might be seeing from, from religion to some extent, but only temporarily. Um, and we saw that on trade, which is during a time period in which President Trump was just really talking about trade a lot. We saw that religious and secular Trump voters had very similar attitudes about right. trade. Right, their, their views came closer together. They coalesced. And then when it's less of the narrative, they go back to what they were thinking before. Right, exactly. So for that reason, you could imagine in a world in which Trump is not kind of the spokesperson for Republicans right now, that these differences between religious and non-religious Trump voters might actually even be a little bit wider. Um, but I think that's an important thing, that tribalism, that partisan tribalism, and it's true for the left, just like it is for the right, can outweigh principles. And there's actually a lot of academic research in political science that not just on in the, in the area of religion, but principles of egalitarianism and humanitarianism and limited government, that partisanship will trump those values. That's, that's a great point. Um, so I think there's one question that I've seen coming up a few times, and that is, does support um, for do Trump voting Catholics or Episcopalians or Baptists, mm -hmm. um, do they hold different views based upon uh, their religious denomination? Or are you seeing sort of the same trends? Mm -hmm. You did mention that you saw similar trends to some extent amongst the Muslims and the Mormons and mm -hmm. the and the Buddhists that you looked at. Yeah, I'm so glad that that was raised because I, I meant to bring that up earlier. So I actually ran separate statistical tests to see if there were differences between denominations. And basically the answer was no. Um, I didn't find significant differences between um, Catholics or Protestants or these other religious groups. Now, the sample sizes are small for like Mormons and Muslims, for instance, and so it's really hard to... to with a sample size that small to really right. be able to tell. Um, but for Catholics and Protestants, we've got lots of people that identify as either of those, and we didn't find significant differences. So I thought that was important, that it didn't seem to be just one particular denomination, but just religious attendance in general. Absolutely. I want to take one more question from Twitter, uh, from Wealth of Playstations, which is a great name, by the way. Um, and Wealth of Playstations asks, out of all the data that you collected in your study, were there any notable statistical outliers that come to mind? Notable statistical outliers. Um, 
gosh, I mean, what's, what struck me was just the consistent pattern. It was the lack of the outliers. It was really, when I first did this, I thought, oh, maybe this is the outlier. Like maybe the fact that there's this strong correlation between, you mentioned that um, the more religious Trump voters had much more favorable attitudes towards African-Americans right, than yeah, like secular notably, Trump voters. Notably like a more, 25%, point, yeah, yeah like, something like that. Yeah, like 20 or 30 point different. And, and I thought, oh, this is interesting. This must be an outlier because that's such a dramatic difference. But then I just kept finding it over and over and over again on all these other issues. Um, and that's what I thought was so interesting is I thought, this is low-hanging fruit. How come no one's seen this before? Now, some researchers have. Some researchers have certainly seen this. But I think it was news to a lot of people. Um, and for the reasons that we've discussed earlier, which is um, that because of the, the culture war over LGBT rights, that people kind of assumed that religion was not a moderating force. Um, but this actually leads me to one more thing that I think is important to bring up before we conclude today. Um, and that since 1992, we've seen a dramatic increase in the number of people who have disengaged from religion. So if you go back over the past several decades, like the 70s, 80s, 90s, the share of people who said they were not affiliated with any religious tradition at all was pretty steady, just steady moving along. And then 1992 just skyrockets. It quadrupled for Americans overall. Right. And you think, well, was that just for liberals? No, conservatives too, tripled for conservatives. Um, so a little bit less than liberals, but still there's just been this huge disengagement from religion. So you put these things together. It's not just religion. It's also so, uh, civil society at large, right? Yes, but it wasn't 1992. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we have seen a decline and disengagement from civic society, as Robert Putnam wrote, over the past several decades. Actually, in Bowling Alone, Putnam talks about it really starting in the mid-1960s mm -hmm. um, and kind of moving on from there, and, there's, and it's unclear exactly why. But if you look at the religious data, it was pretty consistent, 60s, 70s, 80s. It's 1992. That's when it starts skyrocketing. Now, that was an era in which religion and politics became a lot more intermixed with each other. Um, that's why we're kind of having these debates about school prayer and can people read Bibles on the school bus and things like that. And I don't know exactly what happened, but something happened uh, where if you just look at the survey data, it just starts going up. Now, if these correlations in this report are correct, that religious activity seems to moderate people's attitudes on matters of race and religion and identity, and you couple that with a trend in which more and more conservatives are leaving religion, <laughs> you create a recipe for a large number of conservatives who um, might be a little bit more ripe for a candidate who is not as excited about demographic change and is skeptical of immigration. So you can kind of see how those trends kind of led us to 2016. Um, but 1992 is just kind of an interesting place to start and to think about, like, how did we how did we get here? What exactly caused that shift? That's fantastic. So this study is uh, Religious Trump Voters, How Faith Moderates Attitudes About Immigration, Race and Identity. It's a fascinating study. Uh, I recommend you all read it. It's on the Cato website. You can also go to the uh, Cato Institute Twitter account and you'll find um a Twitter thread on there that's pulling out some of the key findings from the study. Um, there's lots of charts. It's very visual. It's very fascinating. Um, we're almost out of time. Uh, thank you so much, Emily. Before we go, what would be the one thing that you want people to take out of this? 
Oh, those are hard questions. I know, I know, I know. Um, I guess what I would consider is, um, I guess it depends on the audience, but it might be um, maybe think twice before kind of um, thinking that people should disengage from their religious traditions, whatever they might be. Um, that might not be your impulse, but if it is, maybe resist that urge um, because there might be benefits to other people that weren't even realized. Fascinating. Thank you so much. That's Emily Eakins. She's director of polling here at the Cato Institute. You can find her research here at Cato with hashtag Cato polls. And if you're interested in more of these kinds of interactive events right here from our Cato studio, please follow Cato Connects. And thank all of you who tuned in today. Please do go read that study. It's very good. <laughs>